In my last parish in Memphis, one time I was in the parish hall talking to someone who was a guest or a visitor. I'd never met the person before. And we were in this large parish hall, just the two of us having an interesting and, and important conversation. And in from the corner of the room walked in the chair of my search committee, the, the former senior warden whom I knew really, really well. And it was obvious that this senior warden did not know the person to whom I was speaking because they didn't greet one another. I acknowledged the senior warden, and as he walked by, he interrupted the conversation. It's important for you to know he has, the senior warden has a really wicked, kind of irreverent sense of humor. And he interrupted the conversation, and he said to this guest or visitor, out of the blue, be careful His job, I had my collar on, his job is to convince you that someone who is invisible is actually real. And then he walked off. (laughs) Now, my only quibble with that is is the word convince. I don't believe it's my job to convince you of anything, Um, but it is a huge part of my job Broderick's and Katie's job to accompany you as we explore this mystery of God's invisible presence that comes close every now and then, which is exactly what's happening in this first story from the Hebrew Scriptures. Moses has been on this journey, as the Israelites have, with God. God, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, or near the beginning, has has revealed God's name. I will be who I will be. How's that for a name? And at this point, many, many, many chapters later, Moses says, prays, show me your glory, I pray, speaking directly to God. You might say that Moses has reached this point in his relationship with the divine, that he wants to move from the verbal to the visual. He wants to see something. And God, perhaps reluctantly, grants this request, encourages Moses to hide himself in the cleft of a rock, is the divine being as God will pass by, but pass by with this warning that he gives to to Moses, saying in the unforgettable words of the King James Version, it was in Hebrew originally, but the King James Version is the part I can't forget. God says, I will pass by and I will show you my back parts. (laughs) Elizabethan English, don't blame me. (laughs) But my face shall never be seen. This incredible story that's a foundational story for the Hebrew people, for it has to do with monotheism and mystery. There is this consistency, this unity to the divine being that we hear, that we see, that we experience, who knows what the right verb is, but yet that divine being is always cloaked in mystery. We never know God. We never experience or see all of what God is. No one does that. Only eternity, if then, will will bring us to that level of intimacy with all that God is. 
John's gospel, the entirety of John's gospel is almost like a riff upon that foundational story from from Exodus about Moses, which is exactly why it's paired on St. John's Day with a reading from John's gospel. This is St. John's Day in which we celebrate and think about and pray about how this parish church, this cathedral, is named after John's gospel so that these stories from John's gospel should have a particular kind of resonance and power for us. So the ones we should know by heart, the ones that should guide us through our long journeys in life. And so many of these stories in John's gospel, and this is why they're a riff, they play with this theme that God comes close, but yet we never know all of who God is. And God in Christ comes oh so close, and we have this color and warmth to the notion of who God is in relationship with us. So many stories. Take, for example, what might be, well, the easiest one to remember, and that is, might be the one that's the most tender, which is when Jesus with his three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. One of the incredible things about John's gospel is that friendship is a big deal. Jesus has, enjoys, needs friends. And may it be so for this parish church, for this cathedral, named after that gospel. And his friend, Lazarus, dies. And if you ever have to memorize a verse in the Bible, pick this one. It's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. Jesus wept. Only in John's gospel, Jesus wept. We see the pathos, the intimacy, the humanity of God in Christ weeping as a friend died. Anybody can relate to that with a friend. Jesus wept. Coming oh so close to us in that most ordinary of emotions, grief. Or take this gospel reading Christ has been raised from the dead in in mystery and is in a dialogue with Peter. And Peter, as Peter's often trying to do, is is trying to figure everything out and and get the facts straight and focused on the literal. And Peter notices behind him, in Peter's words, the disciple whom you loved is following us, the one who reclined close to you at the Last Supper. It's an incredible image of this anonymous disciple who was physically laid. You might have seen this portrayed by artists and iconographers of Jesus physically having someone on top of his breast at the Lord's Supper. Somebody who's closest to Jesus, which reminds me of that great um, bumper sticker or, or saying that you see sometimes, Jesus loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. And Peter, Peter's worried about this. Peter's worried about this. And this anonymous disciple, we don't know who it is. And some scholars have wondered, is it Lazarus? Is it Mary Magdalene? Is it the beloved disciple John? But the fact is, I believe, and and most people do, that this person is anonymous for a reason. This person could be you. It could be me. It could be that child at the border. It could be, and especially is, any of our neighbors who are in desperate search for community and dignity. It could be our neighbor in the same bedroom with us. It could be our neighbor across the street. This beloved disciple is anonymous for a reason. 
John's gospel, it's impossible to summarize any great story, biblical or otherwise, into a single theme. But the whole of John's gospel turns on really a single idea, and it's, it's this, that God is known in and through the human, in and through the real, in and through the very ordinary events of Christ's life. And because his flesh is the flesh of all human being, therefore God knows us in Christ in and through the events of our very ordinary lives. You don't have to conjure up spirituality. You don't have to go somewhere to get to know God. God is that intimate and that close in Christ. The sacraments too play upon this. Baptism is just birth and rebirth of ordinary people. Communion is people hungering for bread and for companionship. A few months ago, we had here in this very space the ordination of our new bishop, Kim Lucas. It was an incredible, and as you might imagine, um, grand and moving service, and and the hymns were moving, and the readings, it it was incredible. I loved it for a lot of reasons, but I really loved it because I got to meet someone. I actually didn't have the courage to introduce myself, so I technically didn't meet her. I had the, the ability to see Barbara Harris. So here's who Barbara Harris is. Barbara Harris is the first female bishop in the Anglican Communion. She was consecrated bishop in the, in the 80s. It was a big and controversial deal. Um, most Anglican communion, certainly the Roman Catholic Church, everybody disagreed with that moment. Um, and she came to this service to be at the consecration, and she is um, 89 years old. I can't help but talk about what she looks like. I, I was, she's tiny. She's this tiny, tiny person. And she absolutely radiates spiritual gravitas and power. Um, You would not want to cross her. And I also picked up on the fact that she's irreverent and colorful and has salty language and a great sense of humor. She was wonderful. So it was great to be around here, but during the service, I was seated where Ken and Katie Pearson is, so I was right there. And right in the choir, literally across from me, was Barbara Harris. And I had a hard time listening to the scriptures or the preacher because I just watched her. And during the sermon, here's what she did. She turned her pew into a rocking chair. And as the preacher preached, this little Barbara Harris that radiated spiritual gravitas was rocking back and forth. And it was mesmerizing. And the movement of her rocking and the cadence and the rhythm of the preacher somehow went hand in hand. And I found out later on that the preacher, who was wonderful, is also her biographer. I'm thinking about Barbara Harris in part because she just released her autobiography um, with a biographer. It's co-written and it's called Hallelujah Anyhow. It's wonderful. And Barbara Harris kept rocking. The preacher kept preaching and she was telling stories about about the ordination of Barbara Harris, about all these groundbreaking things that have happened in the Episcopal Church in the last 30 or 40 years. It wasn't lost on anyone where this was going, the ordination of our new bishop, who's the first female bishop in the history of Colorado. And as the preacher preached, Barbara kept rocking. The preacher moved on to this point saying that the risen Christ in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel, the risen Christ is recognized 
by his wounds or his scars that become transfigured in this healing and heavenly light. And Barbara rocked, and the preacher talked about those scars and that healing and resurrection power. Barbara then whispered something that only the angels could hear. I don't know what it was. And it was incredible. And I found myself thinking, gosh, that's the way to do it. That's, that's what this thing is about. You bring your whole self to the gospel. All of who you are is, is invited in by Christ. All of it, your past, your present, your future. Every bit of who you are is brought into that gospel experience. And when it really connects, inner and outer, past, present, future, when it really all comes together, that's when we know we've taken that step in faith. And that's what Bishop Barbara Harris does. She brings her whole self to church. So turn your pews into rocking chairs and bring all that you are. For Christ's flesh is your flesh. And all of us, all of us, I know that we're not all gonna be the first female bishop or the first this or that. But whether your call is great or small or ambiguous, whatever it is, you have one. And all of us have a story to tell. And each and every one of us can play the part of the beloved disciple.